Welcome to the Three Dad Bods Podcast. We're back and we're ready to entertain and put a smile on your face. Brent, Carl, and Sean are full of useless information. Just ask their kids. But we can't wait to share stories about the past and make your day a bit brighter. Now buckle in, and put those earphones on, and enjoy the ride. Three Dad Bods is back and about to begin. Everybody, welcome to Three Dad Bods. We've actually got Two of the dad bods here tonight. Um, got myself, Brent and Carl. How you doing, hey, Carl? I'm good, man. I'm good. So, um, I got a question for you. Yeah, fire. You're a single, older gentleman. How, how long have you been single for now? Gentleman's a gentleman's probably a real nice way to put it, but uh... yeah, I'm being kind. I'm being kind. <laughs> I'm 53, just like you, bro. No, but- but no, but how how long have you been single for? Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, well, let's see. Um, basically, we split up about ninety or two thousand and sixteen, but uh, divorce was official twenty nineteen. So, uh, you know, I guess four years. So I mean, four years, five, you know, four or five years. So, I mean, you, you know, it's 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 a different world now than when we were out there as young teenagers and early twenties. And I, well, let me ask, I, I think it's an early, a different world. Is it, is, is it a big contrast? Well, I know there's, there's a lot of garbage. You, I mean, there's a lot of noise you see on like YouTube and, you know, I, th- I think dating apps kind of, created a whole new world for dating um i mean i'll admit when i first started dating i was a little bit confused about how things work now because to me you know i mean you remember the 80s if you saw a cute girl at the movie theater um you'd probably you'd say something stupid that would make her laugh and then you would uh uh be pretty you know i mean i don't know i was bold i'd go up and eventually get the courage to ask him like uh hey i I think you're you know (laughs) Well, I can't so remember what it was, but you'd get their phone number and then, um, you know, and this is just a complete stranger. And then you would just uh, call them up, you know, cause you know, they didn't have caller ID and so you could be a creeper and they wouldn't know any better. And then you could ask them out on a date. Right. <laughs> and then if you're lucky, they would say yes and off you go. But uh, that isn't the case now. I mean, it's like a smorgasbord for, the ladies and so um and uh you have a lot of competition now and uh but i still like some of the old school stuff so to answer your question i mean it's harder getting a date with probably someone you want uh mm-hmm. but when you're um out on the date and uh it's pretty pretty much the same you know you, you know it's i think at 53 and having been married before and having children and, you know, having a lot of, um, road mileage underneath me. Um, and you got a lot of mileage (laughs) 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 and, uh, yeah, dating someone else. I mean, they've got their mileage and their family stories and it makes a little more complicated than just going out with someone when you're younger. So, uh, so I'd say that's different. And 
I mean, I'll have to admit to finding the time, you know, as a 50 or three year old, guy, you know, raising kids and, and dealing with life. And I mean, it's, I, I, to be honest, it took a while to feel like it was a priority that I should go out again. And um, so that's what I was going to ask. Like, yeah. so your divorce, you, you get your divorce finalized. Like right. how, how was your mindset? Were you like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm hitting this world, you know, full bore and going, or were you like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to huh. take a moment. I'm going to take a break here for a minute. You know, like what was your mindset? Well, I mean, someone that's been through a, door, a divorce will understand. I mean, at first you're a little angry, a little upset. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of went down the red pill, um, you know, cause women do <laughs> initiate divorces more than men do. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. Like 78% of divorces are initiated by women from what I understand. And so, uh, so I was, I was one, I felt defeated. I mean, it was the biggest decision of my life and I screwed it up, you know, as far as marriage, um, you know, and then, uh, the fears of what was going to happen, you know, dealing with each other. Um, and then, I mean, I was, I was lucky. She, she actually, worked with me really well. Um, she's been very good to work with and we've been co-parenting great, but you didn't know and, that. And you the, actually had a different circumstance where you, you had custody of the kids, right? Yeah. I mean, so our oldest, she, she was old enough to go live on her own when we went through the divorce. And then we had four boys at that point. And, uh, my ex felt that, you know, and they wanted to go to the same school and I, I was, you know, and so they, and I, I guess we'd talked before a few times about how, you know, boys, you know, learn from their, their dads. I mean, they still need yeah. their mom, but, um, when they're teenage boys, um, you know, they learn a lot of life lessons from a dad. And so I think, you know, the boys wanted to continue to stay in the home and, where, you know, and I was staying there, she was the one moving out Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, they just wanted to, you know, keep their friends. I, I, they weren't picking between us. It was more of a, uh, they felt more comfortable staying. And then, uh, yeah, it was kind of me and four boys. And I had, I changed my career. I went from a sales and entrepreneurial type situation where I was in the mortgage and real estate business. And, I went to a more regimented seven to three in the morning or seven in the morning to three 30 in the afternoon job with Vivint. And, uh, it was a lot different. I made less money and, but you did that because the market changed though, right? Like that wasn't, that didn't have anything to do with Uh, your your home personal life and stuff, right? No market was getting better at the time. I probably should have stayed in. I would have made a lot more money, but, uh, I need to be home for the boys. I mean, I was okay. at least when I was younger. I mean, I would get home. My schedule was basically get up early in the morning, make sure they get to school. Uh, then I would uh, uh, get home at three thirty, four, make dinner, hang out with. More importantly, it was just the quality of time we'd all spend together. And, you know, sometimes you have conversations about uh, uh, school. I mean. Even even to this day, I mean, being able to show my boys how to, you know, kind of guide them through how to ask someone out and how to treat girls on dates and how to be respectful and and then also to kind of know where 
where, you know, where things are, you know, in a potential relationship with a new girl. I mean, you know, they get some of that feedback about how the girl side of it is from their mom, but, um, you know, the, okay, well, how to get to point A first and then point B, well, let's talk to dad. And, and so, um, and then, you know, I, I'd take them to their sports events. And as I told you before, in the earlier podcast with Eric, there was, there's just a lot going on with the different things boys have going on in their lives. And so, uh, it was a good place to be for me. And so uh, to tell you the truth, after the divorce, I was busy. I mean, I had work, had that responsibility. So I really wasn't worried about, you know, dating. And then, uh, I was a little bit angry, you know, it took a little time where before she and I had a nice long talk on one of my son's, uh, cross country trips. And we kind of, you know, we kind of put, put, you know, we kind of put it behind us and now right. we're I think pretty good friends. I mean, you know, and, and, and so, um, I think the biggest thing though, is it, I had to work on myself for a while. I mean, we were married 20, I think, I mean, even though we weren't together, some of it at the end, uh, we were almost married 25 years. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. They say you need to wait before dating, um, and work on yourself. That's the rule of thumb. And usually it's a year for every three years or five years you're married. So, I mean, I wasn't going to wait five or six years, but it's actually kind of turned out to be that, you know, and I still, as I found out this last couple of weeks, need a lot to learn about dating. So, uh, so, so, so before I, I get into that, I, I got a quick yeah. story for you. Sorry. A no, rewind story because, you know, you mentioned you did mortgages and, I'm sure you yeah. remember you did you did our mortgage when we moved out to yeah I Tennessee. did that's true I don't that know if awesome. I told you the story the the moving story have I told you that before no <laughs> go ahead and tell me the moving story yeah I'd like to hear so, that so I don't know if you so we were supposed to close on a Friday afternoon okay we we had everything packed in fact we were staying at my in laws house ready to go at like three in the morning to make our way back to, to Nashville, Tennessee. Um, oh, wow. And then at the last second, you said, Hey, it looks like we're going to close on Monday morning. Um, we'll do it at, you know, you, you gave us like the address of a place that was down in Brentwood, Tennessee, which is in the, in the Nashville Metro area. So we packed up, we headed out on this long voyage, driving across the country in a U-Haul truck. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So so the the first mishap was we had, so we we had the U-Haul, we had a trailer. On the trailer, I had my, I had a uh, Nissan Maxima at the time. And inside the Nissan Maxima, I kept our cat, Whoopi, in there. And... we had like a water bowl and a food bowl for Whoopi. And, and my, my wife was right. I'm saying that right now on a podcast. It's out there in the record. My wife wow. was right because she said, don't put water in the bowl for the cat. Put ice cubes in there. Well, me being a man thinking that I know everything, or more importantly, me just being myself thinking that I know <laughs> everything. I put water in there. So we travel across. We go across Wyoming. This is in October is when we were moving. Um, right. 2005. So we're going across Wyoming. And Wyoming is like single-digit temperatures. 
It's just typical Wyoming. It's 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 a terrible place. I'm it's sorry windy. if you live there. Yeah, it's. I mean, you, on one trip, on another side note, we drove. I, I hit the odometer at zero from the one time I saw a tree, and we did not see another tree for 100 miles. I'm not exaggerating. That, that is the honest truth. Is the worst. They should kick the ten people out that live there, make it the national prison, spot that thing with windmills, and you could power the whole entire country. Anyway, so <laughs> it's. it's it's five degrees. We we're leaving. We left that Friday because we were, you know, in a hurry to get back here in time to close. And so we stayed in, I almost said probably Rollins. Get out oh. of the car. It's freezing cold. Yeah. I, I, check on, I check on the cat. <laughs> the cat's water has spilled all over the cat and has frozen on the cat's fur. Hold so on. We, we have... Yes, yes. She, she, oh, she was very much alive. She was okay. pissed. She was a cat sickle, is what she was. And she just, <laughs> I mean, she was so mad. So, oh, she was bad at you. Okay. <laughs> so, so we, so we get to Nashville. We get to Nashville Sunday night, I think it was. Um, we stay in a motel because we've got nowhere else to stay. And so I mentioned I had the cat. In the car, we had a dog named Snoopy, who was a, a lab beagle mix. And Snoopy rode with me in yeah. the U-Haul, and we kind of sedated him the, a bit. Got the heated oh. trip? Oh, man. Oh he, oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. He was living the big life, but oh, it gets better. <laughs> so so that night, the, the dog had like a tranquilizer and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, to kind of keep him calm while we're, while we're sleeping and stuff. So park the truck we get to a motel we spend the night get up in the morning i don't know if you remember this but like not all the documents were there so like oh, that's e- right. everything's that's right. a little chaotic and and this real estate agent that is quote unquote representing the people for the house that we're buying it from she's like she suddenly throws out there well you guys can't move in until the funds are actually in my client's hands. Oh, geez. Yeah. And, okay. and so I was like, no, that, that's not it. Like when I send the money, that's it. it it's our house. It, it's it's our house to buy. And she says, no, gets not, it's it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. I tell my agent, excuse the language, you can bleep it out here if you want. I said, you tell her. That if they don't give us the house tonight, she can fuck off and I'm going back to Utah. <laughs> she goes, okay, I'll tell her that. And so she tells this agent this, and the agent says, fine, tell them to go back to Utah. Oh, well, my oh, no. agent, yeah. So my agent says, are you sure that that's what your client is saying? Because if that's what you're saying, I'm going to take my clients and show them another house that they will purchase tomorrow. And then I'm going to report you to the real estate board for ethics. Oh, wow. It got and kind so, of. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And so, um, so she goes, all right, let me talk to my clients. Of course, these, these, this is a younger couple that was in this house. They don't care. Their stuff is out of the house. They're in their other place. They understand that when the wire's there, the wire's there. It's not like I can, it's not like a fishing pole and I can reel it back in, you know? So yeah. she's like, all right, they can go ahead and move in. So 
we get that clear, you know, and you know, it's stressful, like signing on a house, as you all know, is it's not an easy thing, right? Oh, so, it's not easy on either end of it. Where I remember when we were getting that paperwork ready for you, I mean, that's the one stress of being in the mortgage business that would keep me up at nights. And I got hives sometimes from that job. But anyway, oh, I bet. So, <laughs> the story it's good. All so. Right, so, so we finish up, right? We finish this debacle. I, I think I called you and we're like, all right, we're good. You're like, yeah, let's be here at X and X time. So my wife yeah. goes over. As I'm talking to you on the phone, she goes over and she checks in the truck. And she comes back and she's like, uh, Brent, um, you need to see this. I'm like, now what? You know? And so I, I hang up with you. I go walking over. I look in the truck. The, the driver's seat, no, the passenger seat is gone. Literally gone. My dog, yeah, the tranquilizer wore off my dog. Oh, no. And he ate the seat. <laughs> Not only that, he tore the roof off. He tore the sun visors down. Like he went in on a like a like a binge, you know. He went rampage. Yeah. Oh my goodness, wow. he, he freaked out. And oh, let me also point out, we were the first people to ever use this U-Haul truck. It was brand spanking new. <laughs> oh no. So. so <laughs> goes to the deposit <laughs> i i casually step down from the door and oh, i boy. just walk away and my <laughs> tracy is like brent talk to me talk to me what talk to me and i'm like and i look at her i'm like what am i supposed to say you know like like what it's are you doing in this situation right so, yeah so i call my old insurance agent um ford hill fantastic guy i don't know if he's in the industry anymore just an amazing guy though i tell you and yeah. i i call him up and i go hey ford uh i don't know how to say this but my <laughs> dog just ate the truck <laughs> he goes what i what? said yeah and i kind of explained to him what happened he just started laughing he goes brent <laughs> That's Don't funny. worry about it. It's covered. Don't worry about it. Just take the truck back. So we, we did later that night return this truck with no passenger seat in it. So, yeah. So, like, we, we went down. We closed it. And everything past that point were actually turned out pretty good. Besides yeah, my daughter vomiting yeah. later in that night. But yeah. <laughs> I think it closed well. And. I, I oh I remember that it's been a long time you've been there a long time but I remember the years. drama between the realtors actually that was kind of funny um, crazy you know and that and that was funny because that market wasn't that I mean it wasn't even close to what it's like now right no I mean yeah and you so yeah. at that time and and I know we're kind of changing subjects and we'll revert back here but uh, at, at that time so Salt Lake market was booming. It, it right. was beginning the the giant boom that then hit there for probably about what like the next five years, I guess, where everything just went chaotic. Yeah, we, yeah we were, it was oh six, I think, wasn't it? When did you move? It was oh five, two thousand five, October, and 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 we had we actually when we sold our house, it sold in two weeks. 
Daryl Camel. He's a real estate agent. Good guy. Recommend him to anybody there in Utah. Um, he, they actually got into a bidding war with our home between a couple of people. And so we had asked like 225 and we ended up getting like 260, I think it was. And at the, I, I was baffled that anybody would spend that amount of money on a small starter home in Harriman, Utah, that was 2,000 total square feet, you know. And then we came to Nashville and we got this house that we're in now that has 3,600 square feet for the same price for $250,000. And so yeah, we, now that yeah, house that, in is probably six. Absolutely. Oh, dude, it, it, it is, it is, it is 700 that we looked at on Zillow or something like that. $700,000. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's insane for a starter house. I know. And it's it, the whole market's priced anybody with a starter income, like, you know, new people like the kids out of any chance of getting a house right now. So yeah. Anyway, That's what how are my kids going to get themselves a, a home? With today's salaries and stuff. And yes, so like my home here now is is sitting on the market. Well, it's not on the market, but I mean, it sits for about 600000 itself. Um, and this is our retirement, you know? This this will be our retirement when we, 10 years, pack it up and move down to Florida or whatnot. But, you know, to your point, I I often wonder, how how is this younger generation going to afford a 1,200, 1,300-square-foot home that's going to cost, you know, Four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. Well, hey, this is this is kind of a good subject. We'll get back to my single uh, mm. uh, stories later, but I do. This brings up a good question. I, I wanted to bring up for the people that know us already, but also people that are getting to know us. Why would a a young guy and a young with a young family? Um, and if, and if I remember right, at the time, you really didn't have a lot going for you because you just sold your business, really. And I know, I remember, it was kind of difficult getting you approved for the loan, but we got it worked out. But um, Actually, just the opposite. My, my business was actually booming, but oh. I was a single business owner. And so having that... That was difficult. You know, yeah, yeah the, the proof of income, using the business as the income, that, that's where it kind of crisscrossed inside there but you you were in a business that i mean you sold cd cases and yeah and at I mean, the time was, it was it was a it was a great one out of every six dvd cases in the country was mine if you ever bought a dvd yeah i remember, <laughs> I remember that yeah. anyway long story short though you told me one day hey i'm moving i'm like okay i'm moving to tennessee i'm <laughs> like why the hell are you moving to tennessee and I mean, this is a guy that lives in Utah, and um, I don't think you'd ever been to Tennessee before, had you? Um, I had I mean, on business. Me, yeah. How did this all start? I mean, what what convinced you to move to Tennessee and move out of the, I, I guess the uh, the uh, I mean the nest here in Utah <laughs> and move across the country to a humid jungle? That's what it feels like in the East Coast. Um, what caused you to lose your mind and want to move uh, to the East? And then tell me also, it's kind of explain, you know, uh, how, I mean, what a, what a blessing, or I could, I mean, I guess you could say how that turned out. Cause I think it's been an amazing thing for you and your family. 
But go yeah. ahead. So, all right. So after we had our youngest daughter, we outgrew our home. We had, we had three kids. We were in that starter home. We loved that home. You know, we, when we moved to Harriman, there was only 700 people living out there. It was on the far outskirts of the valley, away from everything. And, and now, as, if anybody's been, you know, if you live in Salt Lake or you've been around the area, it's it's enormous. I mean, it's it's crazy out there. I, I don't. Even, I get lost. Oh, and, and, those, and those from other states, if you're listening to this podcast, Salt Lake County is kind of like a bowl. I mean, mountains yeah. surround yeah. the entire valley, and at one side of the valley, which is the uh, north, kind of the northeast side, is where the pioneers no. kind of came in. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and over the last 125, 50 years, the whole valley's kind of filled in. And that area that Harriman is on the far western, southwestern side where they they had farms and they had a uh, a mine called Kennecott. It's a pretty big deal. But, uh, and it was. I had an ATV that we would, I, I would go riding up the mountain. And uh, I had a good friend a- across the street there. We, I mean, God, there were just hundreds of trails. I mean, you could yeah, spend days and days out there. Oh, it's it's incredible, yeah. you know. And and yeah. I remember once we were up on top of the ridge of the mountain there, and on the other side of the mountain was where the military base was, where the Apaches oh, yeah. did their fighter training. And so, and they shoot off, off one hundred and fifty-five millimeter ordnance every day to this yes. day. <laughs> so we we were on top of the mountain just riding around and and I've I flipped around and, and I'm looking, you know, at Salt Lake Valley. I mean it's incredible view. You're up there on top and stuff. And also my buddy turns around, he just like turned white and then turns around and there's this Apache like staring at us from the back side with his gun saying, Leave the premises now, you're on unauthorized territory and, and all that stuff. So anyway. I guess uh, <laughs> So, so we'd outgrown our home. We'd been Utahs our whole entire life. Um, those who don't know, a, a Utah is born and raised in Utah. Um, yeah. And we we just didn't want to live in Utah our whole lives. Yeah. Um, and that was the time to move for us. Well, you had also gone through, and I, we don't have to get too much detail, but you kind of gone through a faith crisis and and kind no, this of is before that. oh that's before that oh, oh okay yeah. all right all yeah. right okay no, sorry and we've got an echo or feedback going on here but okay um so we 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 decided that's the great like the business was running good we just had our youngest child we've outgrown the home this is the time to move and so we looked all over the country. We looked in Portland, Oregon, um, too expensive. Um, California, we thought about, but boy, I sure am glad we did not move there. And that also was too expensive. Lots of friends and family down in the Phoenix area. Um, yep. But Tracy, Tracy's comment was, I don't want to be around dirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. We almost, very close, Moved, looked at Austin, Texas, almost moved to Austin, Texas. And the reason why we chose Nashville over Austin was the property taxes. 
because the property taxes in, in that area in Austin are very high, much higher than they are in Nashville. Um, so when we came to Nashville and, and Tracy, my wife actually brought up the idea of Nashville. I didn't bring it up. Um, we had been here together on a trip probably two years prior and, and she loved it. She fell in love with, with the area. It was totally different than what she thought it was. And she enjoyed the views. She enjoyed the hills, the green and, and everything like it just kind of captivates you. So we looked in Nashville. Um, I came out first and we actually looked in an area called Clarksville, which is where it's where the big Fort Campbell is. And that's where that's the home of the 101 Airborne. Yeah, um, so it's yep. yeah, and, and it's it's about 40 miles northwest of Nashville. And, and the idea of that was, you know what, we'll be close to Nashville, but not in Nashville. So right. we found a home there that we actually liked. We put an offer on it with a contingency of our home selling. And if somebody had an offer, then we would have X amount of time to match it and blah, blah, blah. Well, like two weeks later, somebody put another offer on that home. We hadn't had our home sold. We let it go. And literally the next day, our home sold. And I'm glad. Well, all said and done, I'm actually glad that that happened because we sold the home. We decided to come back into Nashville. We looked all around Nashville. Um, the very last day we were looking at homes, we're kind of depleted because we hadn't found anything yet. We walked into this home that we're in now. And it, it was one of those, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but walk into a home and it feels like home and we just yep. both kind of looked at each other and we're like this is it this, this is this is home and and we packed up and we headed out and took that roll of the dice and, and risk and didn't know anybody out here the closest people that we knew were about 700 miles away from us because i've got some cousins in in oklahoma and um it honestly has been the best move or the best decision that, that we decided to make. My, my kids know of no other home. This is home to them. We've had opportunities yeah. to move to other places and they adamantly shut it down immediately. <laughs> well, hey, um, and this, this brings up a good point. So you're this young family and I mean, the kids were still pretty young and uh, if you're going to make a move, it's probably a good time to do it. But you're right. You are 700 miles away and 1,000 miles or more away from home. Uh, 1,632 miles and 224 feet approximately from my in-law's front door. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Anyway, tell me, tell me what you and your wife did. Because I'm kind of curious. For this kind of a big move with such a young family, I'm sure you had some worries about how your kids would adjust. Because that's what a lot of young parents are worried about. But what 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 was running through you and your wife's mind? And then what kind of things did you do to integrate into the new community? And uh, was there anything you did special with your children to make them feel like, hey, this is our new home? And um, and and then how did they adjust to that? Well, I'd love to hear that. So I remember that first night being here and. You probably experienced this when you were on your mission in Philadelphia. Yeah. First night there, laying here in bed, and I'm thinking in my head, we're 1,600 miles away from everybody that we know. 
I don't even know where the town airport is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's an area where, and those of you who know Salt Lake, it's very easy to find your place around, You find your way around. Big mountains are yeah. east, little mountains are west. Everything's on a grid, you know, 4,800 south is followed by, you know, it, I mean, it's a numeric system and everything on is on a grid. Here in Nashville? No. It's not like that yeah. at all. You, if, if you go around the block here, you're going to end up in yeah. Alabama. <laughs> well, if you go down Chestnut Street, it goes 1, 2, 5, 400, 500, yeah. 502. And it's like, yeah. and they're all in a row. You're like, yeah. How the heck do you find places in oh. East Coast? <laughs> Dude, it, it, I mean, you, you could be on Gallatin Pike, and then suddenly it turns into Johnny Cash Parkway, and then it turns into Nashville Pike, and then it goes back to, to Gallatin Pike. And, like, you, what is going on here, you know? I, I remember I had this big book. This was before GPSs yeah. and handheld. And all, so I had a big street maps book. <laughs> lived by that thing and and that's what we did like we went out and saw places and that's how we became familiar with the area was just going out you know just going you know hey let's go here you know check the map see where we are follow this follow that and so you learn out here rather than looking at you know and, and salt lake everything is hey go east or go south you know like you mentioned they came in on the north the north east part of the valley you can't do that here. That that's not yeah. how things are are dictated. You you find your landmarks by streets. So you're like, yeah, you know, you're gonna go to Gallatin Pike, and then you know you're gonna, um, you know, go down to Old Hickory. That that's how those are your markers. I have no idea which way direction is out here at all. <laughs> I really don't. You don't. And you so, really don't. And yeah, everything's so there's water, and there's trees everywhere, and so. Water. Water There's no reference where what direction to go to, other than when the sun comes up in the morning. So yeah, right. I know how so it is. Yep. What it what it did though is I think it made us closer because when you live around family, when you live around a lot of friends, you can always drop your kids off and go do something with people. You know, you're constantly dropping your kids off, drop your kids off, drop your, let them be with the grandparents, let them be with you know. We couldn't do that. We we had to have our kids with us. We went and did things more as a family. We, you know, went to see the caves. We would go to Atlanta. We would, you know, we, everything we did always was as a family. So we did a lot of family stuff. Yeah. And so when we moved here, our oldest was the only one in school. She was in first grade. And I will say this, the Utah public school system is a very, very good school system compared yeah. to other public school systems around the country. Because yeah, he you came got in. Private school, right? Pretty quickly um, after your experience in public school out there, right? Well, so no. Um, so what happened was, so in Utah, she was an average student. She was just okay. right the mill, right there in the middle, average student. She come out here in first grade and she was at a third grade learning level out here. Wow. So, yeah, that, that's the difference between the public school systems. And so as a parent, you don't want your child to just settle and, and relax back and migrate back to everybody else. You, you have to find a way to push them 
And so right. out here they have, they're called magnet schools and they're, they're schools for advanced learning, more of like a college prep. They, they keep your kids academically focused and stuff like that. And so she tested, she passed it, but there's this long waiting list. And she was on that waiting list until Christmas break of her fifth grade year. And we wow. literally got the phone call of, hey, there's a spot open. If you want it, you got to take it right now. And so oh, Tracy wow. and I kind of sat about it. We talked with Maya for a little bit and we felt, you know, we have to do this. We've got to put her in. And, and it was a great decision. And she went to school there from fifth grade all the way until she graduated. Um, so, so the other two were not in school. Um, yeah. I kind of brought up on a, another podcast about sports with my son being four years old and trying to get him in baseball and all there was was soccer. But sports is how we then became noticed in the community. Um, I started coaching that one team. My, my boy got on a baseball team the following year. We had baseball friends, you know, and then we had football friends and then we had basketball friends. And then when I think my boy was in second grade, we put him and his sister in Catholic school. And at that school, I became the basketball coach for their middle school team. Um, yeah, you remember oh, telling me about that. Funnest time in the world. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Greatest kids, greatest parents. That school, it was built in 1954. They'd never won a championship. We won two championships in the three years that I was there. Um, it's not for me, I'll tell you that, because I had studs as players. They were outstanding. They grasped what I was trying to teach them, and they, I'm telling you, they rolled. But that's how we got to know people was through sports and through these activities. Hey, you're kind of average as a basketball player, but that's good. You were able to teach the kids to be a little better than you. So that's great. <laughs> I, was, I was amazing. Basketball well, this, this brings up a good, you brought up a good point though. You said that this experience moving to this whole new place, all by, you know, your family came closer together. Tell me too, how did it help you and your wife? I mean, this is probably pretty hard on her, um, but not having your in-laws next door, not having your parents next door. I mean, I hear a lot of these stories where, you know, mom and dad are still influencing their kids after they get married. How did that help your marriage? Did it create any challenges that you guys had to work on? I mean, did it bring you closer together? Tell me a little bit about you and your, your wife's marriage, if you're okay with that. So my wife is the most amazing person on earth. For her to be able to deal with me, oh, she, amen, when she bro. dies, they will, they will most likely name a cathedral after her. She'll become a saint. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am not the easiest person in the world to deal with. My kids, my uh, wife, anybody who works with me will tell you that. Flat out. So, <laughs> but, and, and, and look, like everybody else, we've been married for 25 years. Um, it, it, there's all kinds. It, sometimes it feels like there's more rocky roads than there are smooth roads. But I think the one thing ever since we got married, like we've seen married couples that have, they, the husband and wife had their own checking accounts still, you know, it just baffles us. Yeah, when we became married, it was, it was 
us, not me, not you. It, it was us. And so in coming out here, that us kind of magnified because we didn't have anybody to lean on for decisions. You know, to, we didn't have anybody to go to for a handout. Everything we did, we had to do on our own. The decisions we made, we made on our own. And we made those decisions together. And so when you have a true partnership in a marriage, I, I think that builds a, a stronger foundation. Now, again, now that's, that's a good point, Brett. So you felt like after the move that you had a real partnership in every sense of the word versus before. We had to. We, yeah. we didn't have a choice because there was nobody to fall back on. And, and, and again, let me, let me be very, very clear. Uh, it hasn't been a perfect marriage. Just, and I don't think there is a such thing as a, as a perfect marriage. It just oh, yeah, that's a myth. Yeah. That's it, a it, myth. Yeah, it's a difficult <laughs> thing with, with social media, with, with, you know, everything that we deal with here. It's, it's a tough, tough job, but to her credit, she is the one that has held everything together. She's a very strong woman and yeah, love that woman to death. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, so I guess, the, I guess, and, and, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast, everyone is we want to give back to our friends, family, and, and anyone who's listening to this podcast right now. And one, one thing I've always uh, been watching, especially here in Utah, it's a kind of a problem. Uh, part of the reason why our, our homing home prices are so high is because everybody wants to live by mom and dad. And I get it. I mean, it, there's a big warm family culture here with the LDS faith and a lot of people, you know, um, invest in that. But there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a kind of also too with that, it creates kind of more of a clannish kind of uh fear of what's outside i mean they even in in inside the faith they'll even call the gentiles or the non-mormons you know and it, there's almost this fear of leaving the mother country leaving utah and i guess what i wanted to just establish here is your story is great because it shows that a family can become closer together a marriage can uh, become more of a partnership. And I just want, you know, you tell, and also too, I mean, as far as your recommendation for younger people who may be in a situation where, you know, it's impossible to get a home in the area they live, uh, but their mom and dad or their families close by. Um, I, I just love to hear this kind of a story because you can create your own story, right? I mean, you tell me. Oh, yeah. So, I'm sorry. I, the dogs come running in here and I got sidetracked. <laughs> but, no, you, you're, you're right. You know, you – and, look, it, it, I don't think it happens to everybody. You know, it, it depends on on what you have together. You know, if, if you're the type of, of, you know, couple that you each have your separate bank account, I don't know if something like this could work for you. Right. You know, because I, I don't know if you're accustomed to living like that. Um, I will say also to, you know, and, and you kind of had asked, you know, like, how has it been? You know, what, what's it like? It, people here are fantastic. They, they really are. They're, they're, they're kind. Um, they're not overbearing. 
Now, and I'm sure there's like everywhere else, there's there's people that are like that. But one of the things growing up in Utah and and being there that I at least felt is you've heard the term keeping up with the Joneses. What well, yep. it, it almost seems like, you know, if if your neighbor if you build up on a hill and then somebody's going to want to build up on the hill higher than you with a larger home. And you're like, well, I can't be down here. I got to be up higher on that. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to, you have to be better. And, and, and it's more of a monetary and, and a a lot, all these people being strapped to the prices of their homes and, and life it, and that type of mentality, at least in this area where we've been, it's not like that. You have a mixture of, people who have and and people who don't have and you coexist together you know you have neighborhoods where you have large large homes lots of property and then down the street might be a a, a smaller home and an older home and they they're still good friends they're neighbors they're not trying to compete um uh how do you say like like yeah. wealth wise against each other they're they're just accepting of what you have and you feel very blessed for what you're social, able to have sure social climbing pressure isn't as high um yeah i i get it i i think and this is another thing i i in my job i call people all over the country every day i'm in sales and um and i talk to people in the south a lot and and i the one feeling I get and and granted you know the south has its issues and, and you know i mean there are you know, they're good people and they're bad people and, and, and stupid people and really intelligent people. I mean, just like everywhere else. I mean, and I mean, there's crime, but there's some really good people in the South. Right. And I've, I've really felt like you're just saying that people take you more for just who you are as a person in most cases. And I also think the way of life, the, the, I mean, other than the darn humidity, which I can't stand mm -hmm. I, that, I, I, I really think people should take a look because I I've seen, I've been looking at the real estate prices down there and, you know, a lot of people are talking about, and I think too, in the Midwest in certain areas, you can experience this as well. I know my uh, nephew moved up to South Dakota and he's having an amazing experience up there. So there are all kinds of places it, around this country that you can go and 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 create your own story with your family, but also uh, have a good life and not live as if you're desperately trying to stay up with the Joneses, and 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 then have your own offshoot of your own story and your own family and legacy in those areas. So that. Uh, that's why I've been pretty impressed by you, Brent, and your and your wife. She's amazing, like you said. I've always been impressed, and I've known you for years since we were kids. And you're a good guy too. Don't don't let him kid you. I mean, he is difficult <laughs> at times, I'm but horribly difficult. But uh, <laughs> he's funny. But uh, and I think she laughs occasionally at your jokes still. I hope, but uh, uh, yeah, mostly shaking her head, rolling her eyes back. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you have some amazing kids, and I'm just impressed by the stories and you know the experiences you guys have. And uh, anyway, I just want the audience to know that. So this is kind of what we're going to be doing too, a little bit, just so our audience knows. 
Um, part of, you know, developing a new podcast is also developing a relationship with the host. And so today really turned out to be an interview of Brent and a little bit about his story. And I'll continue my story because we're getting close to the end right now. But uh, uh, and then we'll probably interview Sean, too, when he gets back with us the next time. But uh, and then we want to continue this story with uh, families and dads and, you know, talk about their experiences and and what they've done as far as their, uh, you know, helping their families out. And we'll still continue with the subjects that we've been talking about, but maybe more in this kind of format where we, we, we interview each other and uh, Brent, it's been fun tonight. I've really enjoyed yeah, this uh, yeah. conversation and, uh, and, and just so you know, your, your experiences, your family's experiences have enriched my life and we didn't get into it, but uh, maybe down the road, we'll talk about it a little more, but even though my family had a bump or two there and I'm still working on finding my life partner, but uh, uh, my family though, has benefited from uh, these experiences that you've communicated with me over the years. And I hope, I hope our podcast does that for some young families or older families out there as well. So anyway, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch the rest of you soon. So, all right, right, guys. Thank you everybody. And keep listening guys. We, We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Three Dad Bods podcast. Let your friends know we're on Spotify and Apple. And don't miss an episode. Rock on.